0: Spartans, grab your Needler and strap on your Mjolnir battle armor, because this week, we're talking Halo. With over 15 releases and a whole slew of other media, including comic books, movies, and so, so many novels, the Halo franchise is one of the biggest running, and it's about to get even bigger. Following the surprise release of its multiplayer on the Xbox 20th anniversary, Halo Infinite's campaign is right around the corner. But before it arrives, we're here to dive into what makes the game so memorable and discuss some of our favorite moments with the series. For the Totally Biased Media Podcast, my name's Jason.
1: I'm Jordan. My name's Jackson.
0: And to borrow the franchise's favorite cliche, let's finish the fight.
2: Halo has been going basically as long as video games have been on the rise. This was really where it all started for a lot of us, especially us younger millennial types. Just to sort of get a feel for it, what, what were y'all's first experiences with the Halo franchise? Jackson, what, what was the first one you really played?
1: first one that I really played was Reach. But if we're going to really be technical, first one I ever played was 2 when we had the the good old OG Xbox. Uh, I could tell that I was really young when I played that, though, because I, one, did not know the Flood existed until, like, years later, uh, and two, didn't even know you played as Arbiter. (laughs) But Reach is really where I got into the series, which, you know, I think is a good place to get in. It you know it's a it's a side story that really you know opens up the, like the rest of the world to you, but without really getting into like you know the main overarching plot or anything.
2: Jason, I believe our experiences were more or less the same here, but but where did you start off?
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely started with Halo Two back on the original Xbox, uh, but I mean, it was kind of one of those situations where I was kind of too young to really get what I was doing. Uh, I think the first like Halo game that I ever really got into wasn't until ODST came out in like 2009, 2010. I played a lot of ODST, and I think that was mostly just because it was new when I finally got an Xbox 360, because I got one several years late after everyone else. <laughs> uh, but I do remember playing quite a bit of ODST, although I've been replaying it recently, and I I still don't think I... I don't know how much ODST I actually played. I think I mostly just kind of messed around with the Halo 3 multiplayer. Because ODST didn't have its own multiplayer. It just came with a, a second disc that would let you play the Halo 3 multiplayer.
2: Yeah. Man, those were weird times for for online video games. I think I think my first memories with Halo, which were all pretty negative, uh, were actually with Combat Evolved in 2001. And I'm not even sure that I ever actually owned the game. I think I just played a demo or something that featured like two levels of (laughs) Combat Evolved. And it was the first time I had played a first-person shooter with a controller. I had played a very, very small amount of them on the PC, but nothing nothing significant. But it was the first time I picked up a first-person shooter with the controller. And I was just immediately like, wow, this is very bad. (laughs) I do not enjoy this. And completely shut out ever trying to even get into Halo (laughs) from the start. But when Halo 2 rolled around, you know, I had played a couple more shooters by that point. I was probably like late elementary school, getting into middle school when I really played it for the first time. And uh, 2 really clicked with me more. I think 3 was still the first one that I sat down and played the entirety of the campaign and tried some of the online and like really gave an honest shot. But I have some really fond memories of two specifically. Even more specifically, the first like three or four missions of two, which I have played so many times. I think I've started every Halo game multiple times and I've only finished most of them once at most.
1: I think I've played every single one at least twice now. I've probably played reach like four... I, have, for some reason, even though I don't like it, have played five, probably four or so times, but I've played every one at least like twice.
0: My big issue was I had a friend that got Halo 4 when it came out uh, in like 2012-ish. And I didn't like Halo 4 because of how much it changed from Halo 2 and 3. And like, it made things a lot better in a lot of ways and like kind of modernized the controls and everything. But I just really didn't like Halo 4, uh, and as such, I completely missed out on, like, the entirety of the second decade of Halo. <laughs> like, even to this day, I've still only played a little bit of Halo 4 and a little bit of Halo 5, uh, and then, you know, the multiplayer for Halo Infinite I've been enjoying quite a bit. But
1: You've played one level of Halo 5, and it was yesterday.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just completely ignored Halo for an entire decade, and then I tried to blame it on Halo. Like, yeah, there have not been a Halo game in a while.
1: I will say, though, 4 and 5 are definitely low points for the series. I don't think, I'm strictly talking about Campaign, because I did not really play the multiplayer. I don't think Campaign of either was bad. The story of 5 was alright, and having to play as Locke, who had pretty much no personality for the entire game, sucked. But 4 was... I liked 4. It did feel a little less Halo and more like a average shooter, but I still liked it. But I can definitely see why other people not so big fans.
2: From what I've played of the online, I actually think 5s wasn't bad. It was just so fundamentally different from what Halo was before. And you can tell that people were really clamoring for pure halo because that is exactly what infinite is so far
0: yeah i think with halo infinite they've really realized like what people liked from the additions they made especially in halo 4 and 5 and what people really liked about the first three halo games and they they've kind of worked to combine those as much as possible and create an experience that's It simultaneously feels like the original Halo releases, but it doesn't feel like you're playing a game from, you know, 2004.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it walks a very, very fine line in that, and shockingly well, honestly. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this more than I thought I would. But before we get too far into our experiences with the Halo Infinite multiplayer, let's kind of talk a little bit about other online shooters and what our general feelings about them have been because I think that informs a lot about what we like and dislike about Halo. For me personally, I've historically not been a, a big competitive shooter fan. Um, I didn't really get into any of them on any significant level until Overwatch, which is a whole different thing. Um, and the only like true shooter I've ever like really, really liked was Titanfall 2. There have been no others that I really connected with that were just like online centric experiences
1: yeah i have had a sort of similar experience uh I've, i'd say i've definitely played a good bit more of online shooters just because like that's what all my friends are into so you know i've just kind of been drugging into them a lot more but like you know titanfall 2 easily my favorite shooter of all time i've never had fun with the shooter like i have with that um i've I'm not a huge fan of it, but I have naturally played Destiny 2's Crucible a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess there's also Fortnite. We won't we won't talk about that one <laughs> not yet. <laughs> we won't talk about the way too many hours I have in that game just from its first like five seasons. Jason, what about you?
0: It, I I've played a little bit of everything, you know, from Counter-Strike, like the original Counter-Strike to Counter-Strike Go. Some of the older Call of Duty games, Uh, specifically I played quite a bit of Black Ops, because I think it came out around the same time as ODST, so I picked it up, and I really liked Modern Warfare 1, but I I think a lot like you, the first, the the online experiences I've had with shooters, like the the best ones have definitely been Titanfall 2, and I've definitely had a lot of fun with the Crucible and Destiny when it's well balanced, as rare as that is, I think Destiny's Crucible is best when supers are rare and ammo, the secondary ammo is plentiful, but not the heavy ammo.
1: (laughs) See, I completely disagree.
0: I I think it just gets annoying with, like, having too many abilities. I I think the the thing I really like, I like the abilities.
1: I'm not going to get into it because we're here for Halo, but they are fixing a lot of that stuff in, like, the next two days. Yeah, well... Maybe I'll give Crucible another shot in a few
0: days. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that'll happen.
2: (laughs) All this just to sort of say we're not the type where we're in there hard on every Call of Duty every year, and we don't have a ton of experience with the Halo multiplayer. We're not, none of us were the type where we really gave every Halo multiplayer experience a shot. But that being said, for me personally, Halo Infinite, when it clicks, it clicks really well. I have had matches that, even if I'm not doing great, still just feel really good and have a really good pace to them and I feel like I'm making progress on something. It actually genuinely feels good to play, even if I am dying a whole lot.
0: Yeah, and I think it definitely has a good balance of when it gives out the special abilities, when it gives out you know, really strong guns like the rocket launcher or the sniper rifle. I think they've managed to strike a really good balance with a lot of things. I mean, the only issue that I've really had was challenges and uh, ranking up in the battle pass, but that's more or less already been fixed, at least from my experience. It seems like leveling up is a lot faster and there's a much better progression curve to it now. Yeah,
1: I think there are still some more changes that need to be made, but the changes they've made already are very good in my opinion. And it's nice to see them get rolled out this quickly when it hasn't even been, like, a month since it was released.
0: Yeah, especially when it really seemed like the changes weren't going to come until after the holidays.
1: Right, or around the launch of the campaign. Yeah.
2: Now, what do you guys think are some of the things that sort of make this game feel good to play? Because it does not feel like any other shooter. You think Call of Duty, when you're playing on a controller, it's basically just press the aim down sight button and fire, and it's going to do the rest for you. And... Mm -hmm. You kill things in a millisecond, and this game is definitely not that.
0: (laughs) I think the longer time to kill is a big thing, as well as the fact that most of the weapons, not all, I mean obviously you have things like the shotgun or the the energy sword, gravity hammer, most of the weapons are mid-range, especially to say like, other than I guess the battle rifle and sniper rifle-like weapons, most weapons kind of encourage you to get up close and personal. Because of either damage drop-off or the fact that bullets just aren't accurate enough to hit over long range. And I I think that keeps things very fast-paced and up close and personal.
1: One of the major things that I think makes Halo so different than any other shooter is that each weapon serves its own purpose. Like, if you're playing any COD or Battlefield or even Titanfall, like there were like three weapons that are going to feel almost exactly the same. But in Halo... I feel like every weapon has its own purpose, especially some of the newer ones. Like, for instance, there is this new shock pistol called the Disruptor, where it does not do much damage at all. But what you can do with it is after hitting an enemy three times with it, they will have an electric, like, current running through them for a few seconds that doesn't do too much damage. But since it's constantly running, their shield cannot reach in. So, like, they're very vulnerable once you've done that. And I feel like every almost every weapon has something similar to that, just their own purpose.
0: Definitely. And on top of that, I think it really it gets a lot out of the fact that you have to look around for weapons. You can't just make a yes. loadout of whatever weapons right. you're good at using and then, you know, make do with that. Yeah. You always start out with the well unless you're playing a game mode like Fiesta where you or Fiesta <laughs> where you where you get random weapons. You always start out with just the normal assault rifle and the normal pistol. Mm -hmm. And if you want another weapon, you have to go look for it. Yeah, And I think, one, that encourages people to get a lot better with especially the assault rifle.
1: Right. Which is honestly one of the best guns in the game.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But it also stops you from just running into matches where everybody has assault rifles or everybody has shotguns where they'll just come up and immediately kill you.
1: Right. Yeah. Halo Reach and Form... Did loadout systems. That was not a good idea. <laughs> Halo does not feel right when everyone does not have the same start. Because in Halo Reach, that's when they introduced armor abilities. Not in the sense of Halo Infinites, where they're pickups, they're like you always have them and just constantly on a cooldown. You could spawn in with a bubble shield and then like a DMR and a pistol, and then someone else could spawn in with a jetpack and a DMR and a battle rifle.
0: Yeah, it definitely it works hard to keep everyone on an even playing field. And if you get something that really puts you ahead of everyone else, generally it's not going to have much ammo. And on top of that, you're not going to have it for too long because you definitely make yourself a target.
2: Right. Something I learned today that I wish I had realized much sooner. Do you know there's a scanner in this game which will I show did. you when you're close to weapons and stuff? I was really frustrated at first, thinking like. I'm going to have to learn where weapon spawns are on every single map. But you don't. You can literally just press one button and it's like, hey, here's what's close by. It shows you through walls and stuff. I yeah, wish I, I would have known that.
1: <laughs> I don't think there was any tutorial for it. I accidentally found it when trying to figure out how to switch grenades. <laughs> yeah.
0: Is it yeah. just like up on the D-pad or something? It's
1: up or so. down or something like something that. Something like
2: that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it will scan it will scan like in a circle around you and show you if there are weapons and things in that vicinity. So, yeah. so that really comes in handy. So, cuz that was one of my biggest problems, especially on big team battle where the maps are enormous. Mm. I just did not know where to look for weapons. That being said, the maps are still really good. There's not a ton of variety in them. Like you see a lot of the same ones repeated based on the game modes and stuff, but most of the maps are really well-designed and are really balanced for the more movement-based games like Capture the Flag and Oddball, I I think they've done a really good job with most of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's for sure. I really do like a lot of the maps, uh, especially the smaller ones for, you know, normal game modes like Slayer or even the Capture the Flag map. I I think some of those get a little bit too big for the normal. Uh, I think it's like 6v6, but I I think it does really well with having, like, decently large areas where you can get into a big firefight or if you want to you can mostly stick to like hallways where you'll have more intimate fights generally just against you know a single person or right i think it definitely helps let you decide what kind of flow you want combat to have i don't know how much that's saying because uh the more i think about it that's just kind of how all multiplayer shooter maps are <laughs> these days but
2: yeah it's kind of what they're all going for so it, but one thing that Halo does well is it maintains that but is still visually appealing. They're not right. just boring hallways or open field type things.
0: Yeah, something right. I've always kind of admired about Halo is that it's really stuck to its design styles. Like the, the the same design philosophy that you see in Halo 1 still kind of carries through even when you're looking at games like, you know, Halo 5 or Halo 4. For sure. I realize that almost all of the games that I really care about are just ones with numbers after the name, so it's not going (laughs) to sound very interesting. Yeah. (laughs) But, and I I definitely think the aesthetics really evolved over time as well, because obviously what you see in Halo Infinite's a lot more detailed and a lot more intricate than what you saw in Halo 1, where I felt like too much of the game was just wandering through gray hallways.
1: Yeah. 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 I feel like, especially with armor design, Halo 4 and 5, they got a little too detailed and intricate, and it just did not really look very Halo, and I'm glad Infinite has moved back to that, like, old style.
0: So far, something I've always liked about Halo, especially with the armor that you would see in, in Reek, where, like I said, I didn't really play much of 4 and 5, so I don't know how the armor customization went in those too much, uh, but... I really liked how Reach managed to have, like, very varied armor. Like, everyone you saw would look different, but at the same time, like, they always kind of captured the Halo aesthetic. Right. And I think, so far, Halo Infinite's kind of managed to do that as well. That said, there's only three armor cores so far, and there's not, like, a huge amount of things that you can do to make it look different. One of them is samurai-themed, though, and I think (laughs) it manages to still look like a Halo samurai.
1: Yeah, I want to get into the the customization of Halo Infinite because as much as I am glad that they moved back to the, you know, closer to the older art style, there's a lot of issues with the customization system in Halo Infinite, and I am not a fan of it. First problem is the armor cores <laughs> because certain armor pieces can only be applied to certain cores. Like if you get, say, the um, the Mark five helmet for the uh the reach style armor you can't use that on the mark seven core which is really annoying with the way the battle pass is laid out you may get stuff for one armor core and then a while later get stuff for another one so there's just a lot of stuff you can't use for certain armor cores which i just think is dumb i can kind of understand it with the samurai one because it's a little you know out there and it's not very like original halo still looks pretty halo but
0: oh believe me i i think we'll get into the samurai armor in a minute
1: and then there's also the problem with the coating system which is uh coatings are just like shaders that change the color of your armor say you unlock a coating that makes your armor red well you can only apply that to your armor uh can't be applied to weapons or vehicles you have to get the specific one of that for the vehicle and or weapons. And I don't even mean for weapons in general. I mean for the specific weapon. A shader for the assault rifle does not work on the pistol, and that is dumb. It's also it's also
2: annoying because they're not especially interesting. No. A lot yeah. of the coatings are just three primary colors, and you can't even carry that over to other weapons. Like, that's so weird. And also, some of the weapons only have one coating right now or they, like, they have like their default and one additional one and that's it and that's so weird
0: what's really annoying mm-hmm. is seeing things that are already like coded into the game but for some reason if you look at the description for unlocking it it just says stay tuned yeah it's like you already yeah. finished it why are you hiding it from us <laughs> but i think yeah. my biggest issue with the customization in halo infinite is just that you don't start with anything
1: right yeah. that's yeah that's another big problem i have with it
0: I, I think it wasn't as noticeable or as bad in Reach because I think in Reach you started with at least some things. In right. Infinite, you only start with—I I don't think there are like any armor customizations you can do other than just colors. Nope. And you only start with like five colors.
1: And they're all like basic ones that just apply to like the entire armor, not just like any pieces or anything.
0: Yeah, and I—I I don't know. Like I said, I—I I don't know what four and five were like, but in all the other Halo games, like you could customize the You know, you could pick at least one or two colors for your armor from a whole giant list. And I think that that really helped to make things a lot more unique. But it's kind of lame right now where most of the people haven't unlocked a lot of armor upgrades or anything from the battle pass, or just most people are playing with the free battle pass that doesn't give you as much stuff. Everyone looks the same. You'll see a million different people that are just wearing default armor green or blue or red, whatever, you know?
2: There's also a problem that I... I kind of expect will, will hurt the game more than, than it probably should in that you can, you can customize your armor to look very different, but the only things that really make the appearance that different from what I can tell at least are the colors and the helmet. And those make up a very small percentage of the things you get from the battle pass. Most of the stuff in the battle pass will be like, this makes your shoulder armor a little bulkier. That's so yeah. specific and does so little for the overarching appearance that, like, of the, I was looking at the battle pass, of the first 20 levels or so, there were only two items that seemed like they were worth using at all. The rest were so minuscule, cha- like, such minuscule changes that I don't know, I I like, they, they didn't feel like a reward. They just felt like a checking a box. Yeah.
0: yeah, and it definitely feels like it has the same problem that 3 and Reach had, where, A lot of your unlockables are, okay, you got this helmet, and now it's just, okay, well, here's a little flashlight that goes on the side of the helmet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I don't care about getting the flashlight. Like, I already have the helmet. It's not (laughs) like the flashlight's that important to the aesthetic of my character. Like, I don't give a crap.
2: (laughs) This level adds a very, very, very small bandolier you can put on your, like, (laughs) breast pocket.
0: I always find the shoulder armor weird, especially, because it'll just be... It's not, like, actually changing your shoulder armor. It's just something that goes on top of your shoulder.
2: So it's not even, like, it's actually different armor. It's just, like, a whole other thing.
0: Yeah, I think it would be cool if there was things that you could get, like... If I could get something similar to Samus's shoulder pads from Metroid. You know, like, the giant ones from, like, Metroid Prime. The round ones. But no, it's it's just one little square usually sometimes it's bigger sometimes it's smaller but doesn't really fundamentally change the way your armor looks it's just an add-on to the top of it
2: now let's get back to that samurai armor jackson you were the only one that was really playing the game much when the first event week rolled around sort of uh, explain how that works it's very confusing to me
0: oh boy
1: let me tell you about what is probably the worst event system i have ever seen in a video game
0: amen (laughs)
1: So the way the event works is it essentially had its own battle pass that was leveled up by completing specific challenges that would give you one level in the battle pass. But you could not control when you did these challenges because the way the challenge system works in this game is you have a set number of weekly challenges. And if you have the free version of the game, uh, you can do three of those at a time. If you buy the battle pass, you can do four at a time. You may not even have any of these challenges to complete at a time because you have regular battle pass challenges to complete
0: exactly and your regular battle pass challenge could be something stupid like kill 25 spartans with some random weapon that you'll never see
2: so let me make sure i understand this so you have you have three or four slots you can have quests or uh challenges assigned to and if you finish one
1: it switches out for a new one
2: But there's still only a chance it's going to be an event one when there's an event in, right?
1: Yeah, basically
0: it just adds event challenges to the challenge pool. And it still just randomly grabs a challenge from that pool.
1: Hmm. Yep. That is bad. Wow. And then, on top of that, there are 30 tiers in the event battle pass. But there are only 7 challenges in the first week of this uh, event. To be able to unlock anything. So you can only unlock seven tiers of the battle pass, no matter how much you play. I mean, I guess thankfully they're doing the event again, uh there's two more weeks of it. They're like they're not like interconnected weeks or anything. I think one's in February and one's in like January. But that's just a dumb system.
0: I thought that it was three consecutive weeks that it was running, and I was kind of let nope. down when I got on yep. after they kind of changed the way challenges worked, and it was gone.
2: So if there are only seven challenges, is it just are we just assuming that the next week will have more than seven? Because if it's, I'd still, assume that I only guess. puts us at twenty one, yeah,
0: <laughs> seven
1: per week. Yeah, it's it's, <sighs> hmm. it's God. not
0: a great system. And also that does mean that if you haven't already played during the first week, if they leave it at the seven, then you you'll never be able to get it.
1: Yeah. So if you don't do those first seven, are you just not going to be able to complete the battle pass for the event? Are the other weeks also going to have a set number that just fills up to 30? Because if so, I'm going to miss the very last reward because I did not do the final challenge I had for the first week of this.
2: Do you have to buy a separate battle pass to do the event?
1: No. Yeah. Luckily, okay.
0: event battle passes are free. Yeah,
1: event battle passes are free to everyone. There's the um, there's the free side of the battle pass for everyone, and there's the paid side that's like 10 bucks. Yep.
0: The event one doesn't have a paid side at all. It's just right. the so, one yeah. free battle pass.
1: It'd be even more annoying if it did.
2: I think to sort of summarize here, the actual gameplay itself of Halo Infinite Holy Player is great. They just, they gotta fix some of the progression hooks. Otherwise, I, I don't think some, some people are really gonna be that, that connected to it. Because I'll admit, I am probably in this category. If there's not some kind of good progression system to keep me playing... I just the gameplay being good isn't going to be enough especially in a game a competitive shooter that can get frustrating if you're you know playing badly or whatever. Like as an example, you know we're in the, we're in a new season of Fortnite. Last season I barely played at all because the progression system was convoluted and not very rewarding, but the season before I played a ton because it was very generous with its progression. The gameplay barely changed between the two seasons, but one season was just a lot more was a lot more forward with unlock unlockables and you know gave you it rewarded you for playing the game instead of just going off and doing really random challenges it feels like this game sometimes wants to reward you for doing things that aren't necessarily
1: indicative of playing halo well yeah it's really annoying too
0: it's definitely hard to draw a line between making challenges that are achievable for anyone and challenges that are you know specifically about playing well
1: yeah Yeah. for sure and and some of the challenges are very gated because for instance sometimes you can have a challenge that is uh kill five enemies with the wasp chain gun, but there is only one map the wasp spawns on and it's only in big team battle so you have to play big team battle and hope you get the one of three maps that it's on or the one map that it's on of the three maps
0: for reference the wasp is a a flying vehicle
1: it's pretty much a helicopter
0: yeah so if you wanted to use that chain gun not only do you need to get on a map where the wasp spawns you also need to have someone to fly the plane for you
1: no no you can you can fire it while and fly it oh okay remember the hornet from halo 3 yeah it's it's pretty much that but but then the
0: the bigger issue is everyone everyone else that has that same challenge is going to be going for it as well yep so then, even if you do manage to get on a map where you find the wasp, you're still going to have to compete with everyone else trying to get that achievement. Yep.
1: Then you have to add in the fact that vehicles have little too much health in this game, and you're not going to be able to get another one until the one that's currently in use has been destroyed.
0: I think it's weird. I think vehicles have too much health from some sources, but then there are weapons that will just instantly take them out. I, it feels like it's a little weird. Like, I think the, it's the, uh, the Spiker or whatever that'll just, like, almost instantly take out most vehicles.
2: Yeah. Let's actually talk about the weapons for a minute, because there are a lot of new ones here, or at least ones I'm unfamiliar with. They could have been in four or five, and I just forget. Generally speaking, I think a lot of them are really cool. Even if I don't think that they are all necessarily good in the game itself, they all are cool, and I look forward to seeing how they work in the the story and stuff if nothing else
0: yeah. there's definitely some pretty good ones i think the human weapons i like that they've given them or at least a lot of them nicknames to make them feel like more a better part of the world because previously like the assault rifle was just called like the m4d or something actually i don't think the assault rifle got a nickname did it so that's a bad example but you know, like <laughs> no. previously it was just the rocket launcher but now it's called like the spanker and it's like that's the dumb military type name that I would expect them to give an assault or a, <laughs> a rocket launcher for some yeah. reason and the, yeah. the
1: pistol is called the sidekick and
0: the, the shotgun's called the bulldog
1: yeah you got Good the Hydra stuff. granted Hydra's been called the Hydra since it was first put in the game, but <laughs> you got you know you got the battle rifle, the commando.
0: I'd like to see more covenant weapons
1: yeah it
0: feels like the only guns that, well, there's the the gravity hammer and the energy sword. Which those are series staples at this point, uh, but it feels like other than that, I've seen the plasma pistol, the carbine, and the the needler, and pretty much other than that, it's all non-covenant yeah, weaponry.
1: It makes sense from a story standpoint since you're not fighting covenant, you're fighting banished, who use like, you know, the like the weapons that have like the red plasma beams. So like, yeah, does make sense from a story standpoint, but I would have liked to see more of the like traditional covenant weapons.
0: I think the Covenant weapons are really—they're the, the definitely like the most iconic weapons in the Halo series,
1: other than the battle
2: rifle, of course. <laughs> I think I think that of, of the new ones, there is a a shotgun where it has two firing modes, and one the spread is horizontal, and then when you flip it, it's vertical. And I really, really love that gun. Like, that's one of the coolest guns I think I've seen in a shooter, period. It's not that it's that good or that it's that iconic. It's just, like, it's a cool idea that hasn't necessarily been done
1: in other shooters before.
0: It's hard to use against one person. It's very easy to use any other time. (laughs) Right.
1: Which is kind of where it's, like, hard-to-useness comes into play. Because if you want to defeat someone efficiently... You need to be using the vertical mode and each time you fire this gun, six bullets go out of it and you need to land all six of those twice, which is not easy to do.
0: But if you use it horizontally, it'll bounce off walls. So whatever. It'll.
1: I mean, it'll bounce <laughs> off walls whenever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I cool. mean,
0: it'll bounce off better at better angles.
2: Yeah. Right. You can definitely do some cool stuff with it. So I think the weapons are, are a good place to sort of jump off of the... Uh, the multiplayer and sort of talk about what we're expecting slash hoping for the the campaign do you guys just just a a gut check do you think the campaign's going to be good
1: I can't say I mean (laughs) there's there's a lot of things that are going to be different I think gameplay wise it'll be fantastic the new abilities they have and the new weapons and just how the game overall feels I think it's going to feel fine that way, but the whole open world thing I'm not really sold on yet.
0: Yeah, open world worries me, especially with the lack of like moving around isn't very interesting. I don't Well,
1: think. I mean you do have the grapple, which reminder, abilities will not work the same way in the campaign as they do in multiplayer. In multiplayer they are pickups that you only get a certain amount of uses for. In campaign, the grapple shot which is the first one you get Is just on a very, like, very short cooldown for the entire game. Like, you always have it. So I don't think movement will actually be that bad. Plus, you'll also eventually, you know, have thruster jets and the repulsor, which are also pretty good movement things. I just... I I realize now, you know, open world has kind of been done Halo before with ODST, but that was just the open streets of Mombasa, and you need to get from point A to point B. But this... This has more, of like, normal open-world stuff. Like, there are things to do around the map.
0: I, I just hope it doesn't follow the, the Ubisoft formula too closely.
1: Yeah. Really just the modern open-world games in general formula.
2: I think that there is there is a balance that could be struck that would be very cool. From what I've seen, it's not necessarily the direction they're going, But what I think would be really cool and what would make for good Halo both as a a natural evolution and sort of an homage to the, the, the roots of the series would be a big central open world map where there are bases to destroy, bosses to hunt down, just cool fights to happen. But then on sort of the edges or under the map in different ways there are more linear structures like for example you could go up to a, a stronghold that's built into like a mountain or something. And you have to go that they get to take that route in a more linear halo level style as you progress into it towards a boss or something. But well, there you is also that. have these big open bases you can
1: destroy from a thousand different directions and different stuff. So that is how the game is like, there will still be like, Linear missions that you can like do around the map that pretty much function like that. Just there's also an overworld on top of that.
2: Yeah, I, I just don't really know what the blending is going to be like and what percentage you'll be doing of which and yeah, how the, the, some it's of the... the
1: percentage that I don't really know about. Yeah,
0: the the open world formula I just I'm not a fan of because I think it leads to a lot of wasted time just kind of running around the map. Yeah. Um, I like definitely the way that games like Psychonauts two and I guess to a lesser extent like. Uh, halo odst have you know you have this large open world hub area and then from there you can go into missions that are a lot more focused and right i think that's a lot more fun and it leads to a better experience because then you have that hub world that you can explore whenever you want however much you want but you're not really locked behind needing to do things in that hub world
2: now that's something I'm almost sure will be the will will not be the case, is I'm I'm sure you will be locked to doing open world stuff at a, a fairly consistent pace. <laughs> but we'll we'll see how it all shakes out, I guess. I'm hopeful and I still think this will make for a good game. I just I don't think it's going to be as iconic as games like two or Reach or Pretty much those two are the ones that stand out for me.
1: (laughs) Well,
0: do you guys remember when 343 took over for Bungie? Like, which game that was?
1: 4 was the first game they did.
0: Oh, so 343's never made, like, a great Halo game.
1: Right. I have heard Halo Wars 2 is really good, but that's also, you know... Halo Wars, it's an RTS, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's an RTS.
0: I've heard Halo Wars is great, but... I I am a little concerned that, you know, there hasn't been a great Halo game since Bungie left. Yeah. I I hope 343 is able to look at the good stuff Bungie did and create something new.
1: I will say Halo Infinite gives me a lot of Combat Evolved vibes, which makes sense because 343 has talked a lot how they drew that as a lot of the inspiration for it, Um, which, you know, makes sense since it's from the same series I don't, I, you know, it, it's weird to me. But Halo Combat Evolved, at least the very, like, beginning of it, was very open. Like, you got to see a lot of the ring, and you got to do a lot of driving around at the beginning. And when I see, like, gameplay from Halo Infinite, because they let a bunch of, like, YouTubers and stuff play, like, the first few hours. When I see a lot of that stuff, it does remind me a lot of Combat Evolved
0: i didn't like that in combat evolved (laughs) like i look at the map design in combat evolved and i think this is the least fun exploration in the halo series
1: yeah i think the very first few missions of combat evolved were pretty nice but after that after you started to go like inside the map like inside the ring it just all fell apart then for me but also that's because it's a 20 year old game
0: I thought the first few missions, it's not really telegraphed great where you need to go a lot of the time. Maybe some people are going to hear this and just think I'm dumb. But I feel like I I got lost a lot when I was playing Halo 1. And then about halfway through, or maybe just a quarter of the way through, whatever, it just became boring gray hallways with blue lights on. Yeah, And that's how it was the rest of the game.
1: (laughs) Granted, though, it was 2001. And also the first, like huge shooter
2: at least on consoles Uh, and stuff
1: yeah on consoles
0: yeah i mean you can say that but half-life came out i believe 98 so i don't think just saying it's 2001 is a great excuse i just don't think map design was a huge concern for them at the time
2: now kind of speaking of that before we, we wrap up our halo conversation You know, this shift from this linear single-player narrative focus to more open-world, open-storytelling stuff has been really, really common across all video games, but especially shooters lately. Do you guys think that there is really a future for linear shooters at all anymore? Because I have a really hard time seeing it. Even big franchises that I loved when I was younger, like Resistance and Killzone, even like a lot of the Call of Duties have totally abandoned their story, or they're going for more like shorter moment-to-moment experience stuff instead of like a, a conjoined narrative. Like, do you guys think that there is a future for that type of game at all? Really?
0: I mean, you're asking the same question: Is there a future for any linear storytelling? Right? I mean.
2: I guess that's fair. I just feel like shooters have been disproportionately affected by this.
0: I think the bigger issue you have with shooters especially is that the average shooter fan doesn't really care about the campaign.
2: That's fair. That's fair.
0: Yeah, you know, I and I think there have been really good FPS campaigns. I mean, I look at, I thought the Black Ops campaign was really good. I thought the the Modern Warfare 1 and 2 campaigns were really good. And they're, you know, very linear and like you mentioned with resistance. Half-life Half-life's an interesting one cuz I guess it's it's all older. I I think that like I said there's just not as much of an audience for the FPS campaign these days. Yeah. So there's not as much of a focus put into it. I mean especially sure. with all the money that they blew with like Call of Duty Advanced Warfare or whatever where they had Kevin Spacey in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. You
0: know, people just don't care. And that's why I'm so surprised that they Halo campaign is going to be (laughs) full-priced. Like, I don't see many people buying Halo for the campaign. Maybe more people than you would see for, like, a Call of Duty or a Battlefield. Because the new Battlefield doesn't have a campaign at all, I believe.
1: The difference with Halo than other shooters is there's still a good bit of people that buy it for the campaign. There's barely anyone buying COD or Battlefield for the campaign.
0: I think a big reason for that is just because Halo has this big overarching narrative throughout all the games and call of Duty's always been generally like modern warfare. Like I think all the modern warfare games were in one continuity. And I think that the first three black ops games were, but then the fourth one wasn't or something like that. Yeah. But halo kind of does have that advantage. I don't know. It's really hard to say if I don't think narrative, like linear narrative storytelling is ever going to go away in video games. No, if anything, I think it's going to have a resurgence soon. Because I think there have been a lot of games that have come out fairly recently that are good linear narratives that people are realizing it doesn't necessarily... The the modern, you know, environment for video games doesn't really preclude.
2: (laughs) Sure. I think it's certainly more profitable to go live service, multiplayer-centric shooter, whatever. But I think there is absolutely still a market for single-player experiences of every genre, and I don't think that's going away. It's just a matter of how much it's prioritized, which currently we are seeing very, very little, but I think that could certainly turn around. And I mean, there are there are definitely still single-player shooters that make, make an impact. I mean, Doom Eternal comes to mind. Like, that was an enormous game that tons and tons of people played, and it's basically only single-player. It has multiplayer, but I know a lot of people that played this game, and none of them cared about that at all. So I think there is certainly still a market. It's just it has to be more focused or a little more outside of the norm or just have something else to it. Well, folks, that's a lot of Halo talk. But we got a lot of other stuff we got to get into, including some more Halo talk. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with all the headlines. (music) Halo Infinite's multiplayer might be a big hit with a lot of people. That doesn't mean it's without its problems. One notable ha- hackers and cheaters are kinda hurting the experience for some of us. I assume that every time that I get killed, it's an aimbot or a wall hack. I I don't really know what a wall hack is, but I have seen wall some videos. Wall when they
0: can look through walls.
2: Ah. Fair enough. I thought they could like shoot through walls or something. I was like, that's wild. <laughs> well, there
0: probably are some where you can shoot through walls.
2: Generally speaking, aimbotting is, is a pretty significant problem in just about every shooter, especially early on. However, with Halo Infinite, I've, I don't know how much it has affected me, but I've seen some videos that are absolutely wild. Some people using you know, things like the, uh, uh, whatever the standard machine gun is from across the map, and it's automatically fixing the recoil so that every bullet still hits the target. It's, it's wild.
0: Definitely a big issue, and a lot of people are calling for them to disable crossplay in the meantime to hopefully fix that issue.
2: Which, of course, uh, isn't a, it isn't a permanent solution. It only really fixes it for console players, players. but... Everyone else
0: can just, uh deal with it i guess yeah it it is weird that the game makes you sit so long after every death but there isn't a kill cam or a report feature yeah or you know anything like that yeah um i think there is a report feature in game but it's kind of convoluted to get to and it's not like super obvious they should definitely make that a little bit more obvious
2: well and without the kill cam it's, it's really hard to know it like I I could be getting killed by people that are aimbotting all the time, but I'm so bad at this game, I couldn't tell you that. <laughs> like the I've
0: gotten some kills that probably look like aimbot. Yeah. Cuz I'm so good with that dang sniper rifle. <laughs> yeah. Uh but it is it is mixed in with a bunch of times where I try to fire and just completely miss. So
2: See cheating in online yeah, That's shooters. why I
0: programmed my aimbot to only hit 25% of the <laughs> yeah. time.
2: <laughs> yeah. For me, cheating in shooters is a hard thing to pin down because I'm universally so bad at them that someone downing me instantly just feels like something that someone who's better than me could do, and I don't know the difference. So if I have encountered cheaters, I I couldn't tell you, but I'm sure it has happened based on how much I've seen online sort of pointing these things out and people voicing their frustrations with it.
0: I haven't run into any issues yet, but I don't think I've played as much as you two.
2: Jackson, have you have you seen anything that you think is cheating or anything in that capacity?
0: No.
1: Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that's it. I haven't seen anything that looks like yeah. cheating.
2: <laughs> Moving on, the creators of hit MMOs uh, DC Universe Online and Heroes and Villains, which is a game that I'm I'm not sure anyone has played.
0: No, it was, it was two MMOs, City of Heroes and City of Villains.
2: Oh, okay.
0: They were really big in like the early to mid 2000s, I believe. And it was basically a really similar idea to DC Universe Online, where you would create your own hero or villain and then go do heroics or villainy in a giant open world, you know, MMO style.
2: Gotcha. I do remember these games now. Those, yeah. I, I I at least remember some advertising for them. We were certainly not in any capacity to play MMOs at this point in time.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's the the designer and one of the one of the leads from City of Heroes and a guy who currently leads DC Universe Online, uh, Jack Emmert, that's supposedly going to be leading this project.
2: And I don't know that we've said it yet. The project is a Marvel MMO. <laughs> Now, yeah, and a, lot's, it's, uh... a lot's unknown. We're not sure what characters we're dealing with. We're not sure how it will play. We have no idea. We know nothing other than that it's it's coming, but it will likely be at least 2023 before we see it. The main reason I wanted to talk about this is I had no idea how big DC Universe Online was. For starters, this game has been running since January of 2011. And has been playable on every console or every major console since, and it has had tons and tons of updates, including one coming next year, which they're describing as its biggest update ever. So this game has some history that I genuinely didn't know about. I've dabbled with this game, but I've never gotten more than several hours in it at any given time, as far as I know.
0: My problem with uh, DC Universe Online is that it very much feels like an mmo from 2011 <laughs> in that it's it feels super dated like playing something like that and then playing final fantasy 14 is insanely different i i just don't think it's i don't think it's age well enough to really put time into for me i'm hoping maybe this new update will fix some of that but it is really cool you can pick your own superpowers in that uh and specifically you had like three different movement modes like you could pick like your character is an acrobat and they can, like, jump up walls or they have super speed and they can run up walls or they can just fly.
2: I think that from what I did play in the game, it had some very cool ideas about what building a superhero in a video game looks like. Because a lot of other games, when they've tried to do similar things, have left you with only a few true options. You know, they want to let you pick your powers, but it always boils down to, like... Variations of super strength, or flight, or speed, or whatever. Like, you never really felt like you were making a truly unique character. But in this game, you, you could, but you could also take influences from major DC characters. Like, you could, you could fly in a similar way to Superman, or some of your moves could be reminiscent of Wonder Woman, or you could just straight up have, like, a green lantern ring as your weapon. So, like... It definitely had that DC influence, but you were still designing your own character. I really want to see what that looks like in a 2023-plus video game. I think that they could do some very, very cool stuff with that.
0: Yeah, I, I'm pretty excited for this. I think, honestly, I'm hoping it'll put DC Universe to shame.
2: Jackson, just out of curiosity, what would it take to get you into an MMO?
0: Uh, I'd have
1: to have friends that regularly play it. Otherwise, I don't think I would be. Ever into an MMO. That's fair.
0: I would regularly play Final Fantasy if you guys played it. Problem is, I'm playing it either alone or with David.
2: Someone who is much farther in the game than you.
0: Yeah, I always feel weird when I play with him because, like, it's just redoing content for him. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas for me, it's like new stuff, so I want to take time with it.
2: That's a big problem I see with MMOs in general, is even when I'm playing with other people, we're never at, like, the same point. Let's talk about my boy Spider Man. Because this last week, there was a lot of Spider-News. Spectacular Spider-News, if you will. First of which, big news for Tom Holland fans. Because it's looking like Tom Holland may be in at least three more Spider-Man films. Now, this sort of comes on the tail end of some theories that... No Way Home will be the end of Tom Holland's run as Spider-Man, or at the very minimum will be be his last Spider-Man film. And it seems that, thanks to Amy Pascal, uh, who is the producer at Sony responsible for these films, she has clarified that this is just the end of a trilogy, that there is still more Spider-Man coming in this universe and with these same stars. So, I think that not only will uh spider-man end up being the longest running mcu character i think he will be the one with the most movies as well like by a pretty good margin
0: i like spider-man that's all Who? <laughs> no I, i'm pretty excited to see tom holland appear in some more movies i definitely i really like his take on the character i definitely think these are the best written of the spider-man movies so far for sure for sure <laughs> Uh, As Jackson can attest to, the original trilogy has some. a lot of melodrama that uh, hasn't necessarily held up super well. And the Amazing Spider Man movies had The Amazing Spider Man (laughs) 2.
1: Hey, the first one wasn't that good either. Better than that one. (laughs) Fine. (laughs)
2: An important detail that was sort of unearthed in this same interview uh, with, with Amy Pascal. She did say that they aren't confirming that Holland will star in three more Spider-Man movies, just that he could appear in up to three more, which leaves the door open for Miles Morales in the MCU, Spider-Woman to make her first big screen appearance, Ghost Spider to finally star in something. There's a lot of directions that could go. And all of it's pretty exciting by my book.
0: Yeah, I mean, the big announcement was more just that Sony was, or I believe, specifically, I believe she said Sony and Marvel are working on three more Spider-Man films. So whether that's more Tom Holland or whether it's a new character, either way, we got three Spider-Man films coming. And it seems like a great time to be a Spider-Man fan.
2: Yeah, and there were, some, there were some questionable moments there in, in the relationship between Sony and Marvel. Like, right after Far From Hope, there was another immediate scare that Spider-Man would be pulled from the MCU altogether. Uh, that was resolved fairly quickly, but there have been multiple times where it's come up where they've reached the end of a contract or they've hit something that would indicate that the relationship might be ending. And uh, this is good to know that there is a future there. Because I think these are some of the strongest performing movies in the MCU. And based on the ticket sales for No Way Home, people are real ready to get back to the the known and loved Marvel characters.
0: Speaking of ticket sales for the new Spider-Man No Way Home movie. There's been some big issues cropping up with those. (laughs) Specifically, anybody that wasn't able to get tickets for opening night fast enough is now probably going to get a bad deal on that, as tickets are being sold for as much as $25,000. Now, of course, this only affects big cities, as I checked earlier, and I found out I can actually still get a ticket for opening night locally. So, something to think about. (laughs) If you live in a big city, move. Yeah. Pack your bags. (laughs) move away in time
2: to see Spider-Man No Way Home.
0: In time to see Spider-Man No Way Home on December 17th, uh, 16th. Yeah, 16th. 16th is opening night.
2: Not just leave yeah. the city for long enough to see the movie, you need to move immediately.
0: You need to move, you need to start a new lease or buy a new home, and that will allow you to see Spider-Man for cheaper on opening night. Alternatively, if you have a lot of disposable income, <laughs> I heard tickets are being sold for And this might not seem like a lot of money to you if you have that much disposable income. I've heard you can get a ticket for as low as (laughs) $25,000. Something to consider.
2: But it's not all Spider-Man No Way Home news today. We also got the long-awaited trailer, Spider-Verse Sequel, that we now know will be called Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. Woo! Yeah. This is the most excited I've been by a trailer in a very, very long time.
0: Yeah, it is really cool Woo! to see not only a new trailer, but also just going ahead and announcing a second movie. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. that
2: was that was big. The The trailer showed us uh, more of Miles and Gwen and confirmed that uh, Oscar Isaac, Spider-Man 2099, who was in the post-credit scene of the original movie, are all back and they're all important again. <laughs> and we now know that the movie is officially coming in October of next year. And, big news, a sequel coming in 2023. So, there's a lot more Spider Verse happening in the near future, and I am pumped about it. Oh, folks, I have some breaking news. Beep,
0: beep, 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 beep,
2: beep. My sources are telling me.
0: We got some Fort News!
2: Not only is Spider Man blowing up the movie scene, he has also made his way into Fortnite. And, oh god, it can't be. He's brought Dwayne the Rock Johnson with him?
1: Spider Man and the Rock flipped Fortnite upside down.
0: Spider Man and the Rock are here to redefine the hierarchy of power in the Fortnite universe.
1: Spider Man, The Rock, and Troy Baker flipped Fortnite upside down.
0: And I think I saw Naruto.
2: Fortnite Chapter 3 has officially begun. Chapter 2 ended with the island being flipped over, and it turns out whole other island under it. And also, this island isn't on a planet. It's in, like, a giant time and space bubble in outer space, sort of. But I think it's like a, a its own pocket universe thing. Fortnite is a Fortnite. lot. <laughs> Fortnite. But it's not just Spider-Man. Like I said, Dwayne's here. And turns out he's been here all along. Throughout chapter two, we saw a mysterious, nameless figure who was constantly helping out Troy Baker's Jonesy. Well, it turns out that that mystery man was Dwayne all along. And uh, as he's known in the Fortnite universe, the foundation, which I greatly appreciate, is going to be real important in the upcoming season.
0: Are you saying that now might be a good time to get into Fortnite?
2: I don't think there's ever a good time to get into Fortnite, but I can say I've already enjoyed the little bit I've played of this season significantly more than last season.
1: If there's something that Fortnite and Destiny 2 have in common, it's, uh...
0: You play too much of
1: it. Hey, I haven't played Fortnite regularly in, like, over a year. Uh, it's that uh, if you didn't start playing at the beginning, it's weird to get into
2: I think Fortnite actually does a decent job of sort of refreshing on each new season. And I think that with this chapter, I think it's even more... It's an even better jumping on spot than normal. This game is still definitely not going to be for everyone. But I, I do think that if there was a time to get into Fortnite, it, it probably is now. This season is very interesting aesthetically. But in terms of mechanics, weapon types, what's being changed about the game, it's all pretty bare bones Fortnite. You know, it's more normal guns. There's no big wrinkles in the map like where they've done uh, PvE stuff mixed in or sections with weird gravity or weapons that are themed around a certain thing and don't function like guns. There's none of that is what I'm saying. This This is a basic season.
0: It's worth mentioning, it's a lot easier to get into Fortnite anytime than Destiny 2, because the story in Fortnite doesn't matter. It's set dressing. For sure. Destiny is supposed to be... There's, like, supposed to be an overarching plot that matters. I think Fortnite just adds that overarching plot because it's funny, because, like, it doesn't need, it need an overarching it? plot. It's a Battle Royale game. <laughs> Honestly, the overarching plot doesn't make any sense with the narrative of what you're actually doing in the game. Yeah. It would be like if Destiny's story was about making friends with everyone and then the gameplay was exactly the same. It's like, well, I can't make friends with that guy. I shot him in the face and he died.
2: (laughs) What I really find interesting about Fortnite's story is that everything about it is playing up this idea that these people that are stuck in some kind of time loop or something are trying to work together to stop an evil plot. But the gameplay is literally the people in the time loop kill each other over and over and over
0: again. I love Groundhog Day, but with Iron Man. God,
1: I can't. I can't wait till they add Bill Murray the Fortnite.
0: That would be so cool if the new the new series or new seasons theme was like eighties movies, yeah. <laughs>
2: but not the ones you were like expecting. We,
0: <laughs> it's like we got all the characters from your favorite movies: Police Academy. Revenge of the Nerds.
2: Babysitter's Club.
0: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We added the Ghostbusters, but just Egon.
2: I'm going to go ahead and pull the plug. (laughs) Jackson, what else have you been into this week?
0: We were
1: planning on doing an episode on Mass Effect 3, but that's a big game. And it would take a while to beat, and we didn't have time for it. So I just kept playing it on my own really good unsurprisingly (laughs) i i will say though something about the combat feels off like i don't know what it is that happened between it and two that just feels wrong it's not as enjoyable as it was in two for some reason i i don't know what it is about it
0: i'll tell you what it is
1: you've played a good bit of three right
0: yeah they made it faster paced to make it more like other first person shooters And they took away a lot of the emphasis on using character abilities, and I I think that that made the combat less fun, in my opinion. And I I think the primary reason they did that is so it would fit better with... uh, Originally, Mass Effect 3 had multiplayer, and it Mm, it was still PvE. It was like you and a squad of two other people, or however many other people, were fighting a bunch of Geth, or a bunch of Krogan, you know, whatever, and... I think that they just wanted that to play the same as the normal combat in the base game, and it, it just feels weird. It's not as good. That said, I mean, it's still a lot of fun, and it's not like a bad combat system. I just think yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't have the same charm and feel that Mass Effect 2 hit, and Mass Effect right. 2 really is the best in the series.
1: I'm just also already not a huge fan of cover base shooters anyways. I, I think 2 is probably one of the few I've played where I actually found it really fun, so... But I think... there's something about Mass Effect 3 I really like that is very... I don't don't think I'd say odd, but a very different thing, I guess? Pretty much just, like, the entire game is the final battle. Like, you'll have stuff to do, like, that's separate from it, but, like, from the start of the game, it is the final battle, pretty much. And there's just, like, something about that that I really like. I just... There's another thing that I kept comparing it to that was sort of like that, but I do not remember what it is now.
0: I think Mass Effect 3... does a really good job of setting the stage at the very beginning, and kind of maintaining the tone even when you're doing missions that like aren't really life or death. Yeah. Like when I'm just around exploring the Citadel in Mass Effect Three, I do feel like there are other more important things I should be doing.
1: Yeah, it's it's an interesting feeling. It 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 really sets tone to the game, like this like overarching like fear of like this is the end. It could go, it could all go very badly and just be over. The Mass Effect series in general is just very good at setting tone.
0: Yeah, and I definitely think that the first two games kind of really prepare you for what you're going to see with the Reapers in Mass Effect 3.
1: Yeah, and Mass Effect 2, like the whole thing is after like the first like two missions, you're made aware you have to build a team to go on a suicide mission. And like the entire game is prepping for that. It really just sets the tone of, you know, you may not come back. Which, if, you know, if you do it right, that just, I mean, well, not right, but, like, if you choose to correct, if you choose the decisions that lead to it, it is the end of your, it can be the end of your entire squad and you. But anyways, Jason, what you been doing?
0: I had something a little bit more unique this week. I recently discovered a YouTube series about amusement parks called Defunct Land. And the idea originally was that he was creating a whole new park That was based on. It it was just all of the rides and the attractions were defunct rides that were previously at other parks. And generally, what you see in each episode of the show is he'll talk about a specific ride, attraction, or sometimes even like a whole area of a theme park that was shut down or not finished. And he'll give like a whole history of like. Who built it? Why was it built? Like, why was it canceled? Why was it taken down? Why, why did this park close? I, <laughs> this is a whole bunch of like really interesting stuff about theme parks that I found out. Uh, and he specifically goes a lot into the Disney parks. And when he talks about the Disney parks, like he'll talk about what the CEO of Disney was doing at the time, or like what other decisions that the company was making that kind of led to whatever they were doing at the park that he's talking about. It's really interesting. Like, it's definitely one of the more interesting things I've ever found on the internet, I would say. It kind of seems like in the second season and beyond, he kind of moves away from the idea of making a new theme park with the defunct rides, and it just focuses on, you know, just telling the history and information about these defunct rides and attractions. Really cool, well-researched, and I think that they... Do a lot of good work in kind of setting tone, kind of making the episodes interesting. Sometimes an episode will be based, like, stylistically on a sitcom or something. It'll talk about Michael Eisner making some kind of decision at Disney as if it's an Arrested Development episode. Like, it's it's very interesting. It's a fun show to watch. I would highly recommend it. It's on YouTube, the whole thing. It's just called Defunct Land. Uh, but that's really all for me. Jordan, what have you been up to?
2: Well, most of my time here lately has been dedicated to Halo and Forza Horizon 5, which we've already talked about extensively, and I'm sure we will in- be involved in our Game of the Year conversation in some capacity. So I will spare you all the time on that, and instead talk about an album that I come back to about this time every year. I'm not a Christmas music fan. I have certain very talented people in my life that i like listening to them perform christmas music but i'd never go out of my way to listen to any christmas music except for bare naked for the holidays <laughs> this is an album by the bare naked ladies this album originally came out in 2004 and it is the single greatest christmas album that has ever come into existence It has a couple of just absolute banger renditions of some classic Christmas songs. It has the uh, God Ye Merry Gentlemen, We Three Kings uh, mashup that they did with Sarah McLachlan that is incredible. It, It has Elf's Lament, which is the single best Christmas song ever written. If you've not heard it, it is a song with Michael Buble, which is about elves going on strike. And it has some really great Hanukkah songs. And a, a lot of what I know about Hanukkah came from this album. <laughs> it's, it's just overall a really, really good album, which is weird because I don't like Christmas music universally, but it's some, it's some good stuff, y'all. I, I highly recommend you check it out. Well, folks, I think that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, there's a couple different ways you can do that. First... On Twitter, at TBMcast. On Instagram, at TotallyBiasedMedia. Or you can send an email to TotallyBiasedMedia at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts on the show, your own reviews for recent releases, which we will get into on the podcast. Uh, Any suggestions you have for us. Anything you want to say to us, we're happy to hear it. And it will only hurt my feelings a little bit if it's bad.
1: It will hurt mine a lot.
2: That's why we make Jackson read all of them first. But for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup.
0: I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. You just felt the bias.
2: Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.